date is November 1778, and Captain James Cook, the preeminent English navigator of the day, has just become the first explorer to sail the north coast of Maui. Cook, however, is not the first person to have discovered Maui, which was formed from two separate land masses. As early as the 8th century AD, and maybe even earlier, Polynesians from the Marquesas and Society Islands populated Maui and other sites in the Pacific. Somehow, these islanders managed to sail their 60 to 80 foot canoes thousands of miles across the ocean with nothing more to guide them than the sun, the clouds, the stars, and the birds. This unparalleled feat came at a time when European explorers knew little more than the shores of the Mediterranean Sea. As Cook sailed around the island, natives launched their canoes from the beach to investigate the new visitors. Cook, commanding the HMS Resolution, and Captain Charles Clerk aboard the sister ship HMS Discovery received the same warm welcome from the islanders as they had in January of that year when they sighted Oahu, Kauai, and Nihihau at the western end of the Hawaiian chain. Cook was considered a white god called Lono by the islanders. Cook had stumbled onto those islands while sailing the South Pacific to North America. The aim of his voyage to North America was to find a sea passage to the Atlantic. But after spending the spring and summer of 1778 in an unsuccessful search, he turned his ships westward again. That's when he spotted the island of Maui and was soon visited aboard ship by the Polynesian islanders. As Cook recounts in his journal, the islanders had no fear of the English explorers and might even have known of their earlier visits to the other islands. Cook wrote in his journal, As soon as they got alongside, many of the people who conducted them came into the ships without the least hesitation. They were of the same nation as those of the Leeward Islands, and if we did not mistake them, they knew of our being there. Among the visitors to the resolution and the discovery was Kahekili, the last king of Maui, who had gained control of all the islands except Hawaii. In 1790, he was conquered by Kamehameha, who had also been a visitor aboard Cook's ships. Around 1800, Kamehameha established his headquarters in Lahaina. Today, the town still retains many traces of its historic past. During the next hour, we're going to let you relive some of the town's history, taking you on an easy walking tour of the downtown district. As you move between some of the sites, we'll have you turn off the tape when you hear this sound. Now turn the tape off. When you arrive at the next location, simply turn the tape back on to resume the tour. All set? Then let's go. Our tour begins at Front and Dickinson Streets. At the corner of Front and Dickinson Streets, diagonally across the street from the Lahaina Public Library, is the Master's Reading Room, built in 1834. Today, this historic building is home to the Lahaina Restoration Foundation. The Master's Reading Room was the first Seaman's headquarters. It was built through the efforts of the missionaries, masters, and officers of visiting ships. The Reverend William Richards and Ephraim Spaulding appealed to the visitors to help build what they said would be 
suitable reading rooms for the accommodation of seamen who visit Lahaina, as well as a convenient place of retirement from the heat and unpleasant dust of the market. Most masters and ship's officers traveled with families aboard and relished contact with the missionaries. The lower portion of the two-story building was used for a variety of purposes for the mission. The top floor was the reading room. If you happened into the reading room in the 1830s or 40s, you might find newspapers from the mainland, even if they were six months old, and the ever-present publication, The Temperance Advocate and Seaman's Friend. As the name implies, this newspaper waged an ongoing battle against the evils of drink, as well as reporting on the comings and goings of the whaling fleet. The paper often carried news from Lahaina. Consider this 1844 report. Yesterday and the day before had been celebrated for riot between two and three hundred drunken sailors and five to eight hundred natives in close combat. Yesterday they fought with clubs and stones. Some fifty stones would be flying through the air at once. Several black eyes and bruised heads was the result. The police were overpowered, prisoners rescued, and the sailors took the town fair play. It is positively unsafe to live in Lahaina with licensed grog shops, and I only wish that licensed vendors were in the center of such a mob as we had yesterday. If things go on much longer, I do believe that masters and some of the residents will raise to the ground every house believed to contain rum. For four hours yesterday, no person could venture into the streets without endangering his life. Hundreds, even thousands of ships were anchored each year off Lahaina during the height of the whaling years. The reading room provided a home for the officers who wanted to stay ashore. Not only could they view the ships at anchor and the passing boats, but they had a view of the general activity of the village as well. And as the seaman's friend reported, there was plenty of activity to see. The unique coral block and fieldstone construction of the master's reading room has been preserved exactly as it was originally built. The plantings around the building are also exactly as originally laid out in 1847 by the Reverend Dwight Baldwin. The Baldwin home, also built in 1834, is next door to the reading room and is the oldest standing building in Lahaina. It is here that Baldwin, a missionary and Harvard-trained physician, and his wife and family lived from 1837 until 1871. It took the Baldwins nearly six months to make the trip to Hawaii from their native Connecticut. Other Protestant missionaries from New England had preceded Baldwin to Lahaina. They arrived in the early 1820s, shortly after Kamehameha II had abolished kapus on food and eating. His action meant that for the first time, men and women could eat together, and women could eat foods that were previously prohibited to them. Kamehameha is also credited for the demise of pagan religion, which resulted in the destruction of idols and temples. Queen Ka'ahumanu was the driving force in getting Kamehameha to break the kapus. She had been one of the many wives of Kamehameha I, and when he died, she convinced his successor that they should both rule. When he agreed, she became the Kuhina Nui, the first official female lawmaker in the land. The missionaries, meantime, introduced Christianity, Western education, and in 1831, the first printing press west of the Rockies. Not everyone, though, was thrilled with the arrival and the work of the missionaries. According to one account, 
Some of Lahaina's most colorful history was written when the Congregationalists prevented naked women from swimming out to meet the whalers. Their belligerent brethren anchored in the harbor, replied by cannonballing mission homes and rioting along the waterfront. More about those exciting days a little later in the tour. Today, the Baldwin House remains much as it did more than 150 years ago. It has been faithfully restored by the Lahaina Restoration Foundation and is open daily as a museum. The Baldwin home served as a medical office and as a center for missionary activity. Baldwin received members of the royal court, ship's captains, consuls, and weary travelers. The house was built with thick walls of coral, stone, and hand-hewn timbers. A bedroom and study were added in 1840, and a second story was built in 1849 to accommodate Baldwin's six children. Next to the Baldwin house was the Richards house, which was home to William Richards, the first Protestant missionary to Lahaina. The house was the first coral stone home in the islands. Nothing remains of the house today. The site is now Campbell Park. Richards left the mission in the mid-1830s to become an advisor to Kamehameha III. It was Richards who, in 1839, helped draft the Declaration of Rights and the Edict of Toleration, and a year later, Hawaii's first constitution. The Declaration of Rights has been called the Hawaiian Magna Carta, providing equal treatment for all people. The Declaration of Rights stated, God has bestowed certain rights alike on all men and all chiefs and all people of all lands. In making laws for the nations, it is by no means proper to enact laws for the protection of the rulers only, without also providing protection for their subjects. The Reverend Richards traveled to the United States and England as Kamehameha's envoy to seek recognition of the kingdom's independence. He also served as the first minister of education. Richards died in Honolulu in 1847. Kamehameha III took power in 1824 and continued to rule until 1854, which was the longest reign in Hawaiian history. In 1845, during his tenure, he moved Hawaii's seat of government from Lahaina to Honolulu. Four years later, he turned Hawaii into a constitutional monarchy. The United States, France, and Great Britain all recognized Hawaii as an independent country. Cross the street and walk down the pathway toward the library, and you'll come to a small area marked as a taro patch. It's marked with a sign as one of Lahaina's historic sites. The taro plant once flourished on the island. The small patch behind the library is just a reminder of days gone by. Taro, a staple of the Hawaiian diet, is used to make poi. Poi is made from the taro root, which is pounded and kneaded into a paste. You can try poi at some of Lahaina's restaurants. According to some historians, Kamehameha III once worked the taro patch to show his subjects the dignity of labor. 
Some accounts of Old Lahaina describe it as a Venice of the Pacific because of the many waterways, streams, ponds, and taro patches which were flooded with water like rice paddies. The natural waterways were rerouted to provide fresh water for the community as Lahaina grew. A taro patch on the land fronting the Baldwin home was shown on maps and sketches of the day and was described by both the Richards and the Baldwins in letters to friends. In a letter to his brothers and sisters, Baldwin wrote, We are much pleased with this place. The land lies level for a little extent along the shore, covered with coconut trees, bananas, breadfruit, and taro patches. Now, walk toward the seawall to your right, just beyond the historic marker. As you peer over the edge of the seawall, in the water you'll see a Haola birthing stone. This stone and others like it are very important to the ways of the Hawaiians. Haola stones used for healing and birthing were believed to hold powerful forces of nature that stilled the spirit and healed the soul, thus restoring health. Kahunas, or spiritual leaders, used herbs, diet, massage, and healing stones to alleviate their patients' ills. Hawaiians believed that the flat-shaped stone emitted magical healing powers. Just to the left of the Haola stone marker is the site of the brick palace of Kamehameha I. It was built when Kamehameha came to Lahaina to plan his attack on Kauai. It is believed to be the first two-story western-style building in the islands. The building was constructed in 1798 by two ex-convicts from a British penal colony in Australia the two-story brick palace designed to welcome the captains of visiting ships, measured 20 feet by 40 feet and was partitioned into four rooms. The land around the building was built up with a stone wall to keep the seawater back and was filled in with earth to make a broad plateau. Attached to this compound was an observation tower. There was also a long house with a thatched roof, which was used extensively by Kamehameha's sons in later years. The Brick Palace stood for 70 years and was used as a warehouse, storeroom, and a meeting house. Today, all that's left is the excavated foundation showing the building's outline. Walk a few more steps toward the ocean and you'll come to the Carthaginian II. This is actually a replica of a 19th century brig, typical of the small, fast freighters that plied their trade between the United States, China, and Hawaii. The 97-foot-long Carthaginian is the only authentically restored brig in the world. You may be wondering about what happened to the original Carthaginian. That 960-ton ship hit a reef and sank in April of 1972 while it was sailing from Maui to Honolulu for repairs. This Carthaginian replica was built in Germany. Be sure to notice the oldest lighthouse on the Pacific coast. Built in 1844 by Kamehameha III, the original wooden tower stood nine feet high and used whale oil lamps at night as navigational aids. The lighthouse was increased to 26 feet in the 1860s. It was rebuilt in 1905 and again in 1916. 
Edward Marcus was one of the last Coast Guard lighthouse keepers on the island. He started as a lighthouse keeper on Molokai in 1936 and was transferred to Maui ten years later. He was responsible for maintaining all of the lighthouses on the island. The Lahaina Lighthouse was always one of my favorite stops. I often took my wife and my youngest daughter with me on those trips. My daughter, Helene, would then have to tell her classmates about her adventures in the town when we got back to her school. I always look forward to going to Lahaina and seeing the people at the Pioneer Inn. <laughs> the lighthouse was easy to get to, unlike some of the others on the island. To get to the Kahokuloa Lighthouse, for instance, you had to make a long drive down a narrow and dangerous road which would often wash out when there was a storm. Oh, <laughs> muck it. The lighthouse stood right on the edge of a high cliff and the ocean waves would be pounding away below. It was like something out of a movie. Even scarier was getting to the lighthouse at Hana. I had to make my way down an extremely narrow gravel trail along the cliff. And getting to the McKenna lighthouse required an eight mile hike in from the road. It would take a couple of hours just to hike into the lighthouse. Once you get to the lighthouse, you had to be jack of all trades to keep them operational. They didn't operate automatically in those days. I always felt that maintaining the lights was an awesome responsibility. I knew that ships at sea depended on those lights to help them navigate safely. Across the street from the lighthouse is the Pioneer Inn. This hotel was built in 1901 by George Freeland, who had been a member of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. He had come to Lahaina in an attempt to apprehend a notorious fugitive. Instead, Freeland fell in love with the town and with a young Hawaiian woman. He never did catch the fugitive, but he found a new home and a new wife. For many years, the hotel that Freeland built was the only lodging in town. It was built on the exact spot where Hawaiian royalty used to meet. In fact, Kamehameha III wrote the first constitution for the kingdom on the very spot where the hotel now sits. Because Lahaina wasn't a tourist attraction when Freeland built the hotel, he added a service station and a movie theater to attract business. The Pioneer Theater became a major draw, showing American, Japanese, and Filipino films each night. The hotel was last renovated in 1995. Today it offers 50 rooms, a bar, and three eating areas. And in keeping with the town's past, there's a collection of whaling artifacts and other memorabilia. If you want to sit down and take a rest, cross Hotel Street and follow the paved sidewalk. You are now approaching the most famous landmark in Lahaina, the Banyan Tree. That's Sam Katatani an islander who has vivid recollections of the banyan tree. In my childhood days, we would climb the tree and catch the birds that would come back at sunset and settle down. When this tree was brought into Lahaina, it stood eight feet tall. It was planted by William Smith in 1873, who at that time was the sheriff on Maui. The tree has literally grown into the size of a whole block.
The banyan tree came from India and was planted to mark the 50th anniversary of the founding of Lahaina's first Christian mission. The tree has literally grown up with Lahaina, which was not only once the whaling capital of the world, but also the capital of the Hawaiian monarchy. The tree provided a leisurely setting for local sugar mill employees and pineapple workers. They would come and meet and conduct their business in the shade of the tree. It was also the scene of many political rallies, luaus, dances, concerts, festivals, and other celebrations. Again, Sam Karatani. The tree was the mecca of Lahaina activities in the old days. We had luaus, May Day programs, concerts, and Aloha Week programs. All of these events were enjoyed by the community under the shade of the banyan tree. If you take a close look at the banyan tree today, you'll see it has numerous roots of varying girth in addition to its huge core of central trunks. The tree stands about 50 feet tall and stretches outward over a 200-foot area, shading two-thirds of an acre on the courthouse square. The courthouse itself was rebuilt in 1859 after a major windstorm a year earlier destroyed more than 20 buildings in Lahaina, including Halepiula, the palace of Kamehameha III. The new courthouse, which became the center of Maui County, was built using the stones from the original Halepiula. Here's how the editor of The Polynesian described the new building. The building contains a custom house, a post office, a collector's office in which there is a money vault, an office for the governor of the island, a police court, a courtroom, and a room in which to starve the jury into unanimity. Today, the courthouse is home to the Lahaina Visitor Center and the Lahaina Art Society Banyan Tree Gallery. In the basement, through the jail cell doors, is the old jail gallery, also operated by the Art Society. As you walk through the first floor corridor of the courthouse, you'll see photos on the walls which provide a glimpse into Lahaina's early days. A unique aspect of the courthouse is that steel beams, rather than the walls of the structure, support the weight of the building. A few steps from the courthouse at the corner of Wharf Street and Canal are the remains of the fort on the canal, which was built in response to the waiters firing cannons at the missionary compound and at the Reverend Richard's home. The bombardment came after a law was passed banning local women from swimming out naked to greet the ships. The fort contained 47 cannons. The fort, built in the early 1830s, was constructed of coral blocks that were hacked and sawed by hand from the reef outside the beach. The fort covered a one-acre area and was enclosed by 20-foot-high walls. As a deterrent to the outlandish behavior of the whalers, cannons raised from the wrecks of foreign ships in Hawaiian waters were brought to Lahaina and mounted at the fort. The cannons you see at the harbor across the street from the courthouse were raised from the wreck of a Russian ship that sank in Honolulu Harbor in 1816. Today, reconstructed walls of coral blocks mark the seaward corners of the old fort. While some of the history of Lahaina is still visible, much has disappeared over the years. As you walk up Canal Street to Front Street, Gone are the vestiges of the freshwater canal that once flowed through central Lahaina to the waterfront and gave Canal Street its name. The canal was dug to provide easier access for waders to get to the freshwater stream. 
Before it was constructed, the waders had to cross the reef in their small chase boats, land on the beach, and then drag their boats to the deeper, clearer part of the stream to fill their casks. When the canal was completed, a government-regulated market was built in the middle of the waterway. It was here that all trade between the Hawaiians and foreign ships was conducted. Some of Lahaina's many grog shops were in this area, which visiting seamen dubbed Rotten Row. The market sat behind what is today an elementary school named for Kamehameha III. Now, walk a block further down Front Street, past the school, and you'll arrive at Holy Innocence Church, Lahaina's first Episcopal church. Now turn the tape off. Holy Innocence Episcopal Church was originally located on the site where the King Kamehameha School now stands. In 1874, a new church and St. Cross School for Girls was built at the corner of Prison and Front Streets. Today's rectory and church site are rich in Hawaiian historical significance. On these grounds, Hawaii's last reigning monarch, Queen Liliokalani and her foster sister, lived as children in a large grass hut. Among the unique features of the church, which has been enlarged and added onto over the years, is the painting of the Hawaiian Madonna and child above the altar. Let's continue a little further down Front Street, and on your right, across from the tennis courts, will be the stone foundation restoration of Hale Piula. Now turn the tape off. Hale Piula is the original palace built in the 1830s for Kamehameha III. The Iron Roof House, as it was known, was never fully completed. One story says it was because Kamehameha preferred to sleep in a hut nearby, while another version claims the project was abandoned when he decided to move the capital to Honolulu. Either way, the building fell into disrepair. It was used as a courthouse until it was badly damaged in the windstorm of 1858. In the same area, you'll likely see work going on to build and restore several authentic Hawaiian sailing canoes. The group doing the work, called Hui Owa'a Kaulua, hopes to create a cultural center on the site to show visitors real Hawaiian culture. The group plans to focus on the traditions of building and sailing Hawaiian double-hulled canoes. As you continue down front, cross over to the other side of the street. As you approach the parking lot across from 505 Front, you'll see a display giving the history of Moku'ula Park, once the sacred site of Hawaiian royalty known as the Ali'i. The area with its basketball and tennis courts and baseball fields of today was once a small island village surrounded by a pond. The sacred island of Moku'ula Olele dates to at least 1500. Carbon dating samples suggest that the island may have been inhabited by humans as early as 600 to 700 A.D. When Kamehameha the Great first conquered Maui, he claimed this sacred spot. The island later was home to Kamehameha II and Kamehameha III, 
Records describe a walkway out to the center of the island, where the young kings kept to themselves, away from the rigors of court life. Kamehameha III built a royal residence and two-story mausoleum on the island. Legend has it that Chief Piolani's daughter was deified after her death and lived as a guardian in a pit under the island. She became the dragon, or lizard goddess, and was worshipped by the royal family as a special guardian. Other stories tell of the island being home to other supernatural beings and events. In 1918, the pond was filled in, and the island was leveled. The area still contains the burial sites of early Hawaiian royalty. Continue down Front Street to Shaw, then head toward the mountains. Turn left on Waianae, and just up the road is the Waianae Church. It's about a five-minute walk. Just turn the tape back on when you arrive at the church. Please turn the tape over to side two.